1: This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's Week. It's your club and this is your show.
2: An interesting week, all told, for Manchester City as defeat against Wolves ended the 100% start to the new season and raised questions about how the team will cope in one upcoming big game without Rodri in the centre of the pitch. But then there was a perfectly good and professional display in Germany as Pep Guardiola's side eased past RB Leipzig in their Champions League group game. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast, where no matter how well certain individuals played on Wednesday, all eyes are already starting to drift towards Sunday's trip to Arsenal. We'll preview that match later on in the show, but first we're going to focus on a few talking points surrounding the team's shape, management of games and personnel available. Plus, there's some fine individual performances to discuss as well. Rico Lewis, we're looking in your direction. Also this week, we've had the sad news that Francis Lee has died at the age of 79. We'll discuss the impact he had at Main Road as both a player and as chairman, as Manchester football historian and author Gary James pays tribute to a true club legend. I'm David Mooney. With me for this week's show, I've got from Stan. At city.co.uk, Adam Carter. Hello. And from Sporting News, Dom Farrell. Hello. 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 So uh yeah, a bit of a bit of an interesting week, Adam.
3: Yeah, it's a mixed mixed bag. We seem to have that this season. Even though we've been amazing and you've referred to a hundred percent season a hundred percent start. It had there's been little mini ups and downs within that hundred percent start, if you if you know what I mean. So yeah, interesting yeah. one to get stuck into.
2: Have you uh, have you coped putting that first entry of a defeat into your database for the Premier League this well, season?
3: Not, I've I've not—you'll know—I've not actually done it yet because <laughs> if we win, it's the first thing I do and I tweet about it, saying the, the database has been updated. Go and check it out. If we draw or lose, I kind of just do it a couple of days later, like in silence and don't even announce that I've yeah. done it. So that's where I'm at at the minute. Good,
2: good. Uh, so you must be a bit annoyed as well because was it not going to be City's best start in the league for like hundred years or yeah, something?
3: Oh, I had I had loads lined up. You yeah. should see my drafts <laughs> folder. It's literally what could have been every yeah. week.
2: As, so, as soon as I clocked that, that was that was good. That was uh, a possibility Dom uh, I just knew no chance no chance City were winning <laughs> at Wolves
4: <laughs> yeah yeah it's not like um, I mean obviously Adam will have had all that stuff prep but yeah it, 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 it does always like from a journalist's point of view it does feel like the kiss of death whenever you prepare things yeah. for sort of, t- sort of things that you think might happen I mean like for example the um...
2: what's your worst one you must have some bad ones <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, t- to be honest I'm trying to think now I I don't think there's any any that have been too absolutely howling, but I, I do remember like the, um, the 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 Liverpool title run-ins that went to the last day. We basically had to have things done for if City win, if Liverpool win, and it was deemed as more likely, as it turned out was the case, that City would do it those times. So both of those times, I had a few bits and bobs like ready to go, and when it's two little to Aston Villa, you're like, is this all my fault? <laughs> you know, but <laughs> it's just one of the
2: things. Yeah, well, uh, we'll get into the analysis now of uh, both the Wolves and the Leipzig game. Uh, But first, for the 2023-24 season, the Blue Moon podcast is sponsored by Green King Sports, where football is more than a game. Green King Sports venues are showing every televised City fixture over the twenty three twenty four 24 season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. City travel to Arsenal this weekend. We'll preview that game later on in the show as well. If, like Like me, you won't be heading to the Emirates. Why not watch it in the next best place, a Green King Sport pub? Green King Sport have just recently launched their Green King Sport Instagram page too, which will be the home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. Drop them a follow. You won't just be the first to know about all of this. You'll also be helping out the Blue Moon podcast as well. Um, I think, Dom, it's it's a really hard one to pitch this because obviously there's talking points around both games for, for City this week. But... It feels really difficult going into this podcast not focusing on Rico Lewis, given the performance that he put in on um, Wednesday night. He played a lot further forward. He wasn't in defence. He really didn't look out of place, did he?
4: Not at all. I mean, you said at the start, like, attention's already turning towards Arsenal, and that's going to be the big focus of the week. I think at um, quarter to eight last night, you'd have been hard-pressed to find anybody who was starting Rico Lewis at the Emirates Stadium in their Dream City eleven. Uh, he might now, hard, you know. He might. Hard, is it hard not to pick him now? Um, yeah. yeah, he was brilliant. Um, I saw one of those. Um, I mean, when you, go, you get this for God, every player in every game, you know, far be it from me to say people have too much time on their hands, but someone had clipped up um, a load of Lewis's like involvements in the game. I saw a video of that on Twitter earlier. Um, and most times he receives the ball, it's like he gets it on the half turn or he, he changes the direction of the play. It's like it's properly like 360 degree football, which is so just completely perfect for a Guardiola team. Um, yeah. And you sort of, I, mean, I know there's been a lot of talk about the academy lately and I know a lot of people have been seeing Cole Palmer start well at Chelsea and it's a little bit mixed emotions for everyone, but obviously Foden is the standard bearer of that academy, but... Considering he was on the bench in like Guardiola's first season, a couple you know in the Champions League, I think it was against Celtic. Um, he's kind of a bit of a freak that he's just incredibly gifted, and it was going to happen for him regardless. I wonder if Lewis, who like was very little fanfare about even until he played friendlies at the start of last season, now like the whole this way of playing football, this culture around the club is there. This is cause it, as Guardiola was alluding to an in interview last night. It's not like he's you know he's not particularly tall he's not massively physical although he can look after himself he's not overly quick um, but he can just do everything to like a really really high level of competence and yeah you wonder if this is or you would you would hope from a city point of view this is the start of loads and loads of players like this coming through because it's um, yeah he's every position he plays he looks a complete and natural. Um, it was wonderful to watch him last night. It really was.
2: I mean, Adam. The other the other side of this as well is um, Lewis got the assist for for Foden's opener. Um, it's literally a goal made in the Champions League by City's mm-hmm. academy.
3: <laughs> I love that. You, you know my thoughts on the academy, and if anyone shows any semblance of being any good from the academy, I'm all over it and putting them on the highest pedestal possible. So yeah, certainly a, a goal made in Greater Manchester there on on the on the German continent. So it's just perfect. You, it's, there's a pride element. I went into work today and I work with a lot of Liverpool fans, and they're saying, Oh, that Rico Lewis is great. And it's almost, there's a, there's, there's almost a bit more pride than if they were telling me Erling Haaland's great or, you know, so there's certainly that added element why we want him to do well. His age comes into it for me. The fact that he's putting these performances in at that age, he looks accomplished. There's still loads he can learn, but Dom alluded to him. The way he takes the ball on the turn is that now just a product, a byproduct of being in the academy now. A city thing, yeah, yeah, a city thing. The, the way Foden does it now, the way Lewis does it, and Pep always talks about Lewis being able to see the three hundred and sixty degree of the game, and that's evident in the way he's receiving the balls, the way he's breaking lines, the way he's 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 getting us up the pitch, he's playing further forward last night, and that's when he's getting assists to his to his game now as well. I I love him in this further. Uh, advanced position my only concern is was he able to play in that advanced position because Rodri was on the pitch and then with Rodri definitely not going to be there against Arsenal does that change the role he might be playing in that game if he plays at all because we've not got that safety net so that was the only thing I, I didn't want to get too excited last night about this advanced role when I, I don't know whether it's because of the other pieces of the puzzle that were in place to allow that as well and I probably that's probably why I'm here as a as a, a guest to kind of answer those questions rather than pose them but well, I was going to say, my initial thought was
2: if, if you're not going to answer that question, I'm <laughs> certainly not going to try and answer that question. So, Dom, over to you. <laughs>
4: uh, um, no, I think it's a very good point. Um, mm. I think, you know, we, but on the other hand, so, so I, I was looking at this from the other point of view of when looking at the Wolves game and then who, who will be Rodri against Arsenal and how, and I've been largely dead impressed with Mateo Kovacic since he joined City up until the game at Molyneux, which wasn't his best. Um, but then you think about, so, so to, th- to to reverse it from what Adam said, is Kovacic in that game playing as the holder had Nunez, who's quite direct, and Doku, and who else was playing? Alvarez Foden. If he, I was thinking, oh, so you think, ah, but if he plays there with Luis Bernardo, Grealish, ahead of him, then maybe it's easier for him. So, yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, um, yeah, but th-
3: Bernardo is a piece of that puzzle as well. I've just thought so. There's a bit of control and security, so it's a difficult one. But Lewis yeah. deserves all the plaudits, and he deserves to be certainly in the reckoning, if not in the guaranteed does, starting eleven.
2: Does it change for you, Adam? If uh, because you, you look at the flanks against Molyneux uh, at Molyneux, and um, you know you've you've got as as Dom says, you've got very attacking players there. If you play instead, Bernardo and um, uh, Grealish with Foden alongside uh, Lewis in the middle, as you yeah. as you kind of did on Wednesday night. I know it's, I know, I know you, I know it's kind of an unchanged side from a game a couple of days ago, but it is. It's a lot more controlling, a lot more secure. And I know Arsenal, Arsenal will yes. leave more spaces than than um, Wolves did.
3: Yeah, I I think you've answered my question and we got there together in a a roundabout way. I'd feel more confident, even though I'm praising Lewis to the hill and he's amazing and we should not deflect away from that. I'm happier with him in the team if he's got a bit of protection because he still does get battered. He doesn't complain about it. He's quite resolute, I think, because younger players have lost the head in those type of moments. So I think that should be singled out for a bit of praise as well, his his mentality. But for a physical battle, I'd just like to see City having more control in a game that he's... Asked to do a bit of a different role than being left back or right back.
2: Yeah, um, Dom. Just as a as a general point, given that he is eighteen, that he has grown up as a fullback, and you know he's now playing number eight in the Champions League. Like, can you <laughs> can you put that into context? Just how good <laughs> that is as an achievement for a player.
4: That's mad, and uh, particularly for him because obviously he started playing that. Um, you know, he he was kind of the spark for the second half of last season. We all know how sort of phenomenally historically that ended by him sort of nailing the fullback coming inside and what you know how to do all that but then obviously john stones did that from center back he could do it with more physicality than lewis so then he he didn't start many games towards the end of the season then the start of this season it's all about kyle walker holding the width and bombing up and down the flank and you think oh, well, God, where does Rico Lewis get in his team mm. now? Because even though he's the, other, he's the other fullback in the senior squad... Yeah, it's in Gundogan's
2: position. That's where he gets Yeah, it. exactly. <laughs> yeah, That's Matt.
4: Yeah, yeah, That's just, just, mad. La- yeah just, just let him be Gundogan instead, and he did it really well. So, <laughs> uh, interesting, though, I mean, I would be, you know, going back to sort of the talking about the control wingers or the attacking guys out there. I do... I wonder if we'd... I mean, I'd like to see him because, you know, he's, he's already played several positions and looked good in them. I wonder if you could play Lewis as, like, the... The right back who holds width really high up, and he maybe does it a bit differently to Walker. That you maybe have someone a bit more attacking inside him. um Yeah, I think you could do that as well. Because you know, as as we saw last night on Folden's goal, his delivery into the box is good, and that's sometimes not a massive strength of Kyle Walker's. So I think provided that the, the guy, it's probably it's probably something you try in a game where Rodri's there. And when John Stones mm. is fully back up to speed,
2: not at the Emirates, probably, you mean?
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, pro- pro- probably. Um, get the keen goal from the dugout leaves that particular club in the bag this weekend, <laughs> but it's something I wouldn't mind seeing him try. You know, I think I think that could be interesting. Definitely. Yeah,
2: Well, let's, uh, let's look a little bit more at the uh, controlling of games, because um, I'm wondering if uh, City have a little bit of a problem with the transitions at the moment. And it might come down to controlling players versus um, ball-carrying players. Uh, but this was uh, what Guardiola had to say on it after the Leipzig game.
5: The time we allowed them to run the transitions. Oh, my God. In two, three passes there in front of Eddie.
2: Three goals conceded this week. All of them were in transition. Two against Wolves, one against Leipzig. Is that a, is that a problem when City don't have that holding player?
4: Um, it is a weird one because if that felt like the big thing more than anything else that was solved, like from about February onwards last year, they just suddenly stopped letting those goals in whatsoever. I mean, I, I mean, though I'm sure there's an example I'm forgetting, but. Thinking about last season, there
2: was that equaliser Forrest
4: got that was... Well, it wasn't really transition like Laporte sort
2: of... Laporte was transitioning somewhere, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another dimension, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, he was transitioning to Saudi Saudi Pro League, it turned out. <laughs> yeah, know, and what he was doing there. Um,
4: <laughs> but goals of that ilk, I don't think they let another one of those in. Um, and then they've let three in a week that are a big counter-type goals. Now... There's a couple of factors there like obviously for wolves certainly on that first goal which was like a number of errors from city but like Neto is rapid and really good in those situations obviously it's pretty much Leipzig's calling card you know every time city have played them over the last three years and with them becoming the new shack to the nest and all that yeah. um guardiola <laughs> has always banged on about how good they are at the counter-attack um and also like thinking back to when he was buying manager like reading the the Marty Perenau's book about him there, that was when he properly got obsessed with counter-attacking teams and, you know, they do it really well in Germany. So they've played two teams that are quite adept at it. But, yeah, that that is, again, maybe not a worry for the weekend because Arsenal are going to try and control sections of the game. But it's a bit like sort of an old problem coming back to haunt them. I do wonder if it's as simple as the reason they stopped it last season was how John Stones has been used. I mean... What Stones was doing on the ball in midfield caught everyone's eye, but I wonder if he was just great at just blocking things off on the halfway line as well. And I know they've done like a kanji's dipped into midfield a bit. Guardiola clearly has that in his locker, you know, but they they've done they've worked the back three, back four in a different way this year. And I wonder if that's part of it, along with the the control dynamic players sort of balance you were talking about.
2: Yeah. Um the other side of this uh, Adam is okay Rodri was on the pitch for the Leipzig goal but he wasn't on the pitch for the two Wolves goals. Um Kovacic and Nunez instead. Uh what did you think of that because I I mean if I'm being perfectly honest I didn't think it was going that badly in the first half. They had the one, Wolves had the one moment and they scored from it and it wasn't they didn't even have a shot. It was <laughs> like they 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 crossed it and somebody somebody else put it in for Ugh. them. Um, and then Guardiola goes, this isn't working, and he he takes Nunes off for for Bob at halftime, and I I, I thought that was a very premature
3: call. Yeah. On what was a system that
2: maybe maybe wasn't working but wasn't a disaster?
3: Yeah, it, it, it almost wasn't working, but not that badly. Like it, it there's a few things to, to address there. First off, obviously the two goals we conceded to Wolves. It's the first time we've conceded two in a single game since January. Good so Dom alluded to us um, fixing that problem, and it, almost the old, you know, the old patterns coming back to haunt us, and. That's just so happened in the game that Rodri's not there. So, you know, for the first time. Coincidence so or not, do you think? <laughs> well, so I wouldn't choose to ha- well, I didn't hindsight, I did choose in my team that I put on Twitter beforehand, or X as it is now, that Nunez and Kovacic were gonna be my Rodri in that in that kind of settled double pivot role, doing doing one man's job, both of them. So I was satisfied with it before the event then during it i wasn't overly enamored with it but i certainly didn't think it was cause for hooking someone at half time now i've got a few trains of thought on that as well if i may has he hooked Nunez at halftime because he was going to be hooking him on fifty-five minutes, and that's more embarrassing? The way the Wolves fans were treating him, does he even care about that, or is he is he doing him a bit of service by hooking him in the dressing room and him not having to face that humiliation of being hooked off at fifty-five? We'll never know. And I don't think really that Pep cares about those type of trivial. Oh, the fans keep shouting nasty things at me. I'll I'll put my arm around you, kind of thing. But that's he just encourages my... it more than anything. Else, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was my initial thought. I certainly didn't think Oscar Bob was the right um, tr- uh, substitution to make, specifically for putting him in the in the middle of the park. If you're bringing Oscar Bob on, you're putting him either further in the pockets near the striker or out wide because that's how he's been used sparingly in his fleeting appearances up to this point. Yeah. So um, it, it would be revisionary of me to say, oh yeah, Nunes and Kovacic didn't work in the middle because that was what I was clamouring for before the game. Well, we've been revisionary. Can I ask you both a question? Um, uh, yeah,
2: you can try, whether I'll answer it or not. <laughs> right,
4: so bearing in mind what we talked about from last night and sort of players playing in the pockets and things like that, do City win that game at Wolves if Rico Lewis comes on for Nunes instead of Bob?
2: Um, wow. That's a, it's a good question because, um, I expect, as Adam said, I expected Bob to play a little bit wider or a little bit further forward with the idea of getting Foden more on the ball in the centre. Um, and he just seemed to come on and take the exact role that Nunes was was playing. And Guardiola said afterwards it was it was all about the small spaces, and that that Bob is good in the small spaces. Um, so I take that point. But um, if if Lewis is there instead, you know, maybe, 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 they, maybe they do win the game, Adam.
3: Yeah, if it's Leipzig Lewis, yeah, I'll take it all day long. Yeah. Black um,
4: Music Lewis sounds like a brilliant stage name or something. It's, <laughs> is
2: it not like a 1940s cartoon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that, yeah, definitely.
3: Like a detective cartoon. Like yeah, Lewis, a, yeah, but but it's a dog. It's not a, like it's a, yeah, it's a detective yeah. dog, It's 100% isn't it? a dog. Yeah. 100% detective dog. That plays by its own
4: rules.
2: Yeah. yeah. In the sure. pockets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, right, I get that back on track then. Um, yeah. Dom uh, dom the the other side of this the the wolves' game in particular, the initial setup maybe not working too well um and i I kind of imagined it was a bit like you know in again, going back to cartoons, you know when you see a cartoon character kind of like plug a leak and then another leak. Uh, like, sp- spouts out somewhere else, yeah. and they plug that, and then another one comes out, and then they've got to use another part of the body, and then they're using kind of like two arms, a, a foot, um, like the the forehead, like just everything. And, like and, that. and a
4: twenty year old Norwegian.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and I I just kind of got the impression that every time City tried to fix something with with their setup in their system, something else was going wrong as a knock on effect, and I and I wonder if it's just simply a case of you know what, it's absolutely fine. City will be fine without Roderick for the most games that the, for most of the games that they play. But the truth is, they're not all right without Rodri, without Stones, without Bernardo, without De Bruyne, all at the same time.
4: Yeah. And and, and say, with with the exception of De Bruyne, they're all like you guys who will take this thing out and knock 15, 20 passes together to just sort of get things under control against. Yeah, I think that that definitely was a point. Um, If you're doing cartoon things, though, we're probably going to talk about Jeremy Doku's celebration last night and what cartoon (laughs) that was, because
3: that that was a bit strange, wasn't it? That's a griddy the kids call that the gridder. is it right right whatever just, that is i don't know yeah It'll,
2: we're all we're all old guys we yeah, can't we can't do old. this we don't know what it is i don't no. know what it is either
4: <laughs> funnily enough you, 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 there is sounding all that goal celebration so i I'd, I'd sort of mocked this docu celebration and my dad messages me going at least it's not another knee slide which I mean, he's a brilliant, it's <laughs> such a good modern football thing to get cross about.
3: They're all just doing bloody knee slides nowadays. So that, oh, game's but, gone.
2: But surely, no, hang on, no, 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 I'm I'm sorry, your dad's wrong. it. Because, like, surely game's gone is all the bloody dancing that players do when they celebrate. Surely it, should, it, it like, a, a game, a, like, an absolute, an, a, a solid goal celebration is, look at that, ran towards the corner flag, Uwe Roslin at knee slide, there we yeah. go. yeah.
4: Maybe my dad knows what a gritty he is. So <laughs> yeah,
3: he's he's on that grind. Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah. Fair play. <laughs> yeah. Um, at the same time, um, Dom, the Leipzig game, City were were much more in control, uh, and ultimately they ca- they came down to the selection. They had a lot fewer ball carriers in there. They had players who were going to control it. Um, th- the flip side of that coin, and like this coin has flipped so many times here now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> City City's performance really stepped up when Doku and Alvarez came on. Doku ball carrier, Alvarez risk taker. Like it just like make it make sense, please.
4: <laughs> R- ro- rolling the ten sided dice there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, I th- actually, I, th- I think it is fairly simple. That part of the reason that cause there's been a few City games in Europe this. The one that always springs to mind is when they were at the Burner Bay just before COVID. Um, when Guardiola basically had Jesus as sort of a left wing back and didn't pick a didn't pick a strike. It was like a sort of the, the no-striker formation. Um, and then he switched back to a... That was really good. They controlled the game with 1-0 down. He then switches back to a 4-3-3 with Sterling on. They scored two goals. And it's like, oh, well, if he just played normally at the start, then fine. But obviously, part of the reason Madrid were ragged at the end was there'd been passed around the pitch for 70 minutes in the original formation. Yeah. And I think the same is true. Like, you know, City had 70% give or take possession last night. If you've been chasing the football round for 70 minutes, the last thing you want to see is Jeremy Docker coming up and Julian Alvarez in this form. So it's like, again, I know we're going to talk about squad depth later, but one thing about the side that was out last night is there was genuine options to change it off the bench. And you contrast that with when they were chasing the game at West Down and sort of chuck nunez on for a debut to, to kind of see what happens and it worked well and he played well um i thought that looked really good and it's yeah the the natural thing to do in that situation is to clamor for you know doku and alvarez have both got a start at the weekend but if the game's in the balance with 20 minutes left you, you kind of like the same option again wouldn't you
2: yeah Let's uh, let's talk specifically about Alvarez, Adam, because um, at the moment, I mean, I, I haven't got the stats. I expect you probably have them at the drop of a hat, but this is where you <laughs> prove me wrong. Um, he seems <laughs> good for a goal or assist pretty much every game this season. Um, how how has that happened? Because midway through last season, I remember I remember thinking, like, I know he's a World Cup winner. I know he's he, he's been playing really well. I just kind of want to see a bit more from him. Then all of a sudden, blink, and like he's doing this every week.
3: Yeah, is, I think it's the fact that. De Bruyne is out of the side and that he's found a settled role that isn't competing with Haaland. So I put it down to his last um, last season. He obviously was in and around the team with Haaland, but people were expecting him to do a striker's role. Whereas now with, with De Bruyne injured, he's had to almost do that kind of number 10 or just in the pocket behind the striker role. And that's why I think we've, we're seeing the best of him now because he's having a prolonged run in the team, be it from the bench or starting and then having that impact regardless of whether he starts or comes on, so I think that's a major part of why he's able to flourish because it's a prolonged um prolonged in that role in that a prolonged period in that role rather than trying to kind of compete with what Haaland was trying to do at the top end of the pitch, which I feel like he was doing last season
2: yeah well here's a question, dom that may or may not get me cancelled. We'll find out when this goes out um his development. Has it come a little bit at the expense of early Haaland, if I may say that? Mm,
4: I don't think so. I, I think Haaland's not playing particularly well, and that's allowed when you're 23 and you know still early in your career at a club. You know the guy that scored 50 odd goals is still finding his feet. Um <laughs> But no, I think and so you look at like the game against Fulham, which is that weird like 5-1 win where they didn't play particularly well. Um you know, Harland and Alvarez link up, links up for those goals. I think. No, nah, I'm not sure about that. I, I think probably more of an issue for Haaland this year. Um, and th- and this
2: is it's like he's missing big chances.
4: <laughs> that there is that, but I wonder if part of that is. Um, and this is purely out of my own head. I've not I've not discussed this with anybody who knows better than me. But oh, this is
2: good. This could be yeah, crazy. Mm, <laughs>
4: right. So. <laughs> Haaland links up, like, instantly really well with De Bruyne and, like, De Bruyne got so many assists from last year. Yeah, De Bruyne as a provider is, like, he'll, he'll take a touch and he looks for the ball straight away. While there's, like, creative players in there now, like guys like Foden are playing really well, um, even Doku as well, um, they're fellows who like to take three, four, five touches, shimmy a bit, move a defender about and then slip a maybe a shorter pass than De Bruyne would. And I, part of me thinks, like, particularly I thought in the Newcastle game when Haaland missed several chances most of them were laid on by Foden. i think there's a thing where he just he gets the rhythm of how de bruyne sets him up and i think it's a bit clunky at times with whether it's with Foden, with docu with grealish um and alvarez maybe sometimes but although alvarez is probably the most direct even without de bruyne's range of passing i mean who has got that but um yeah i, I think that's more of where Harland's problems if I mean he still scored nine goals so far for crying out loud but his relative problems I think that's where they are rather than anything directly to do with Alvarez
1: ad-free episodes are available on Patreon sign up at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast
2: well, uh, let's talk a little bit more about selections because uh, as Guardiola's team selections continue to be difficult because of injuries and suspensions, a lot of fans are questioning the club's decision not to bring in more players last summer. Guardiola's been talking about that and the pressures that it puts on his squad this week. Back in pre-season, Rodri was talking about
5: his workload. I think I have to have a talk with the the club and with the coach because playing 57-59 games uh, I think uh, it's not healthy. Uh, You can do it one season but Two on three in a row yeah. it could be even worse for the team in, in, in the sense that the uh, physicality you, you can drop.
2: Last season, for both City and Spain, he played a total of 68 matches. This season, he started every game up until his suspension in
5: this last week and a bit. With my surround with the people, we already speak that uh, it cannot be like this. But uh, as, on the other hand, uh, last year, we, I have the feeling that we were fighting for everything, so I have to push until yeah. the body, until the limit. That's why sometimes uh, I feel like this at the end of the season. But also the, the seasons are like this. They're, they're even longer every year. Every year. But uh, we have to adapt. Last
2: week, the former City captain and current Burnley manager Vincent Company said the number of games a player can play should be capped. Guardiola was asked about player welfare too. I would
5: say that every idea that you reduce a little bit the amount of games for the players, especially, would be would be nice. But. Uh, it's not going to be changed. There is only one solution to change something, but maybe all the players think about that, all the money think about that. Is the players decide for themselves. The organisation said stop.
2: He thinks the only way the schedule will get any easier is if the players take matters into their own
5: hands. This business, the show must go on without Pep, must keep going. But without the players, the, the show will not go on. That's for sure. So it depends on them. They they decide if they accept, uh, because it's a big business, we have a big salaries and everyone... Like the president of UEFA said to to Jurgen and to me, don't complain, don't complain because you win a lot of money. It's okay. So what, what can I say?
2: Guardiola also thinks football could learn from other sports when it comes to rest.
5: When it's a break it has to be a proper break. Always I put example for NBA. NBA play 18 games in I don't know a few months, but after have four months off or three months off, you don't play the finals and you can regenerate it. You know the managers and everything, new ideas. And after full, full.
2: City have been regulars in the Champions League for over a decade now, and their schedule has often been packed with midweek games as a result. There were a couple of seasons during the Covid 19 pandemic where, had City not been knocked out of one of the cup competitions, there would literally have been no room in the calendar for all the games they needed to play. Guardiola gave one example of how the club doesn't know what effect the lack of rest will have on players.
5: Jeremy Doku is not used to play every three games a week. In Rennes didn't happen. It's not used to. And I don't know how it's going to react every three days. Today, have the players, like, in the positions. They are stable, like Ruben, for example, like, uh, I don't know, Kyle or Rodri. And when you have this type of players, it's, wow, it's, 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 it's heaven. Because... That help us to be less players in the squad.
2: And that right there is the balancing act that Guardiola is doing. We all know he likes a small squad, but why? Especially when there's more games than ever. The Athletic, Sam Lee
5: asked him. Is one thing you could do in future just to have a bigger squad? Because I know you like to have no. a smaller squad, so no. is there at no point no. there's a benefit to having more players? The people say, you have 90, 80, 90 players, and after you have one year, six injuries. Ah, you should feel longer a squad. But what happens after that, when you don't have injuries in one season, you have 25 players. How I can handle, manage, play just 11, 14 players on play during a long, long time.
2: Guardiola does acknowledge though that there are downsides.
5: I prefer that situation. It's a risk, it's okay. That's why that when your equipment you have to be Okay, this player can play in three or four positions. Bernardo can play in two, three. Phil can play in two, three, four positions. Julian as well can play in different positions. The people say, "I want two players for each position." I'm not agree with that. I'm not agree. To be effective, you have to be regularly study eleven and make two or three two. When you make a rotation six or seven every week. Uh-uh it doesn't work well.
2: After injuries at various points of this season too, Kevin De Bruyne, John Stones, Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish and Matteo Kovacic, on top of a suspension to Rodri, it could be said that the chickens have come home to roost. Some may suggest that the decision not to spend more money in the transfer market to bolster the squad's numbers was foolish, especially when the club could afford to do it. But Guardiola would rather take the chance with a small, tight-knit squad to maintain the balance, harmony and rhythm week by week. It's a risk he's willing to take, and it's been successful over his time at the club. It's just unfortunate that, right now, it's left City not having many options over the start of this season.
5: I'm Carlo Nash. You're
3: listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
1: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
2: That was a look at what Guardiola's been saying about uh, having a small squad. Um... Perhaps City got lucky with basically no injuries last season, uh, Adam. Uh, it mm. kind of feels like it's balancing out this season because they haven't really caught a break yet, have they?
3: Yeah, exactly. That that was one of the key things that allowed us to maintain our momentum last year. Certainly the injuries. We were actually praising the medical staff and the way they were having the, the players in the river and been able to go every three games. And that certainly got us over the line towards the end of last season. And then this season like that what I said earlier there's like stop starts within within each kind of game within the season we had 100% start it was stuttered a little bit but there's also been stuttering in them the, we've not had um, John Stones available we've not had Bernardo available but Rodri is the suspension but just because he's suspended it doesn't mean that we're not going to get an injury to Rodri and then we're in this position again so we are now more susceptible to injuries because of the smaller squad but it's it's annoying that that is by design and I totally understand why Pep wants his smaller squad is detailed there why he, why he does it but I think it's we we used up all our luck look- Last year, and it seems to we've, we've already spent it already this time. Look, it doesn't work
2: like that, though, does it? <laughs> Are you know you're not assigned an amount of luck at birth and yeah, then you just it, kind of use it as you go along do you? No, you
3: you've got to say it evens itself out and that's <laughs> the only law we're allowed to apply to football that it evens itself out i'd like so, to know
2: the data on that whether luck actually in life <laughs> whether it evens itself out like like unlucky alf from the fast show for instance like like he <laughs> would it, as a character that's built on the idea that luck does not even out so uh, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you ju- what
4: do some Hell of a week to be talking about evens itself out over the course of the season, isn't it? <laughs> to, um, anyone yeah. who's listening on Merseyside. Yeah, I mean, we'll, uh,
2: <laughs> we'll be coming to that a bit later on as it happens. Um, uh, Dom, do you take Guardiola's point? Small squad, easy to keep happy, but you just kind of accept the risk. And this season, yeah, we've accepted the risk and we've fallen foul of it a bit.
4: Yeah, I do. And uh, it's like, it's kind of how he's always operated as well. Um So, yeah, I mean... It, I thought the squad was too small last season, and they won a treble, so you can't really say. Yeah, could have done with a left back, though, mate. Um, so, and I think it's probably a one or two too small now. But when it looked really small was the Newcastle League Cup game. When you're thinking this is absolutely when Palmer and McAtee play, but mm, sold can't, well, can't, sold, yeah. sold one,
2: loaned one. Yeah, yeah,
4: but you can't just keep them round to play a tough League Cup game. That you know, if Cole Palmer and James McAtee stayed and had played that night as we saw um, with their performance against PSG, Newcastle good team. Every every chance, Newcastle win anyway, and then it's like, all right, um, see you in the third round of the FA Cup. Do you know? So it's like, you can't, I, I, I think this, I think Wadio alluded to this before in Newcastle as well, where the squad's got really thin is where they've sold all the really good academy products and the next guys coming up are like a generation below yeah. and they need to get ready and he's not in the habit of just dishing out appearances. So, I get that, and that's probably a separate conversation to have about how good the pathway is for the kids who are really good at 19 and 20 and aren't Rico Lewis, who's still only 18, for crying out loud. Um, So, yeah, I think the squad's probably on the small side, but he likes that um, the number of injuries is is what's really brought into focus. And not only that, like we said previously, it's injuries to the same sort of player as well, which results in the kind of hodgepodge team you end up throwing out against Wolves.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I I don't like dedicating time to the officials, but I do want to uh, give some time on this week's show to uh, the massive officiating blunder that took place over the weekend. I am, of course, talking about the fact that Huang wasn't shown a 2nd yellow card in that <laughs> Wolves game. Um, as badly as City played, um, Adam, a red card does change the game, doesn't it? He can't score the winner, but on top of that, it changes how Wolves set up and how they defend and yeah. we can't we can't sit here and say um like oh that's the reason why city lost because they were still not up to speed but it is it's one of those moments in a game where that changes and you don't know yeah. how the rest of that game goes
3: yeah and and the timing of it as well just before half time as well the the whole team talk changes at half time I know that's another cliche we can throw in there but um i just don't know well i think i do know why it's not been given and that's because it's a striker um, who hasn't got a reputation of being a tough tackler, if that's someone else who's known to be aggressive on the ball and dives in like that on a, sec- on a yellow, they're going off the pitch. There's no there's no two ways about it. This isn't blue glasses thinking, you know, which we're always hard done by. It literally, he dived in on Kyle Walker after the ball's gone on a yellow card. What more do you need to do to receive a second yellow? You've started me off again now.
1: Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> deep breaths, <laughs> but, mate, deep breaths. Yeah,
3: exactly. We're over it now. We move on. Um. But yeah, so it, it it was the biggest howler of the weekend. You're right. Yeah.
4: Also, he basically sent himself off. I mean, I know Kwang <laughs> should probably never take up poker because you see, him, when he was on the floor after it, he like yeah. smacked the ground with both hands. It's like sort of like like when a batsman walks in cricket. It's like he was like, oh, he'd decided he was getting sent off, and then was delighted to see the ref forgot, bottled yeah. it or whatever we whatever we're saying. Um,
2: do you remember yeah, this is this is what this is a blast from the past? But I I was in the away end for this game. Uh, City drew one all at Tranmere uh, when they were coming back up to the Premier League, and Kevin O'Work got sent off for basically denying a goal scoring opportunity. I was there too, David. Yeah, he just rugby tackled the Tranmere forward in the ninetieth minute and was like, "Nicky Weaver <laughs> might save the penalty, and we might still yeah. win the game." Um, and like, I, I, I still remember him walking off because he rugby tackled him and then didn't even look at the referee after the whistle had gone. <laughs> he just walked straight to the tunnel, which wasn't even like past the referee. It was just in the corner of the ground, <laughs> like away from it. Like never once changed the look of his direction. Yeah. He's like basically accepted, like he, he knew he was walking for that challenge. Yeah. And like, I, 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 I must admit, I do like it when a player goes, yeah, you know what? I'm off. Yeah. I, I I did it. I'm not going to complain about it. I did it.
4: Uh, yeah. As I recall, that game at me. it totally threw the ref as well and he didn't get the red card out for
2: the He was thinking he was going
4: to have to go and talk, give Olock a talking to. Yeah, the admin. Then he, then he saw him like halfway towards the Wirral Tunnel. And he's yeah. like, what's going on? But, but also, <laughs> I might be wrong, I think the fellow who took down was Wayne Allison, who if you remember, was an absolute unit. So... Fair play to Kevin. Oval. It's done
3: well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: It took down like a massive centre forward.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to finish this part of the show uh, with a little bit of a cheeky look at this because this is uh, Jurgen Klopp this week.
5: I can say immediately, uh, even probably some people don't want me that to say, but not as the manager of Liverpool so much, more as a, a football person. I think the, the only the, the outcome should be a replay.
2: That was uh, Jurgen Klopp speaking through a, a, a small section of his five minutes in an answer to a question about something that he insists he's definitely not angry about. Um, Dom Adam, if you are going to look at this from a City point of view, the obvious question now is which games does City need replaying because of absolute refereeing injustices? <laughs> um, Adam, anything off the top of your head to start? No, I've with? got
3: a th- I've got three to hit you with. So, okay. Eva, either- <laughs> yeah, not that I'm bitter. Um, the grievances? Yeah. The Liverpool game, Champions League, uh, where Sane gets a goal chalked off for absolutely no c- comprehensible reason Hang, on, at hang all. on,
2: hang on, hang on. Are we going in with the second leg to start with, bearing in mind two of Liverpool's goals in the first leg were offside. City had a perfectly yeah. good goal disallowed and yeah. the penalty turned down when it was nailed on.
3: I'm grouping that one as one. <laughs> one tie, yeah. However you want to look at that. The second one, Liverpool again, where Milner should have been sent off about 16 times for assu- for various assaults on Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden in a tie at Anfield in the Premier League. And my last one before I hand over to Dom is the Old Trafford derby last year with the Rashford-Fernandes offside. I'm still not over it and I never will be. Please replay that, please. Yeah,
2: Dom? Um,
4: yeah, well, while, we're in, while we're in this period now of releasing audio... Really, really keen to hear that Rashford one, um, because, <laughs> I mean, it'd probably be pretty funny now. Um, I, I'll, I'll go I'll go further back uh, a year after that tramway game you were on about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the game against Middlesbrough in the year uh, City got relegated with Joe Royal. Danny Tiatto got the ball in his own half, ran 40 yards, <laughs> yeah. drilled the shot into the bottom Great corner. Great goal. And the goal was disallowed for offside. Yeah. Um,
2: I still I still remember his match of the day interview where he 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 basically looks I can't remember who the commentator was but he like he looks him dead in the eye and just says you know um how he, how can he flag that for offside I'm the one who's picked up the ball in my own half and run the length of the pitch and not had any intention of passing it and I was like you know what mate you're right you you had no intention of passing that and at least you've owned it but you you've, <laughs> you've scored as well and it's been chalked off
4: yeah so it's like, so I'd, because I thought of that game and I looked at the table from that season so City finished uh, in the relegation zone. But they were eight points behind Middlesbrough who had like a bit of a late season kick. Now, if that's a City win rather than a City draw in the February, um, the caveat is if City replay game against Middlesbrough, even now, with the teams they have all have now, they so obviously lose. Yeah, probably find a way not to win. <laughs> the record against Middlesbrough is hilariously bad. Yeah,
2: um, that that was um, the game before or around the game where um, they had a they they lost at Main Road when they had a perfectly good goal disallowed against Spurs as well, wasn't it, Dom?
4: Yeah, um, I mean it's. It, I, 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 can you imagine Twitter was around then? It'd just be like, well, it's clearly, <laughs> it's clearly corruption, isn't it? Alex Ferguson's paying all the refs off, is what <laughs> is what I imagine City Twitter would have said. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah fun times
2: yeah still not forgiven, Sergei Rabrov um, right <laughs> uh, well let's move on and uh, this week we had the very sad news that the former City player and chairman Francis Lee has died at the age of 79 an important part of City's successful team in the late 1960s and an influential figure off the pitch in the 1990s he goes down as a true Manchester City legend I've been speaking to historian and author Gary James about the legacy that Lee leaves behind it's
0: really sad news isn't it um, what is it a legend absolute legendary player. Um legendary England player as well. You know, he was one of those everyone will talk about Beldy some a bit, but he was part of that brilliant city team that won all those trophies in the late sixties, start of the seventies, um and was absolutely idolised so for anyone who's who's not old enough to to, to sort of know if you think about the way players even you know like Aguero have been idolised in recent years and so on um, that's the level we're talking about you know it's it's right at the top it's not that he's just a name who happened to be in that squad he was absolutely one of the driving forces behind that team and a brilliant England forward as well Um, and then of course Uh, he was city chairman as well which which adds to the the general story but but no he he was one of the biggest names in football and for years you know whenever i'm like on holiday in europe somewhere i'll quite often go to a bookshop and look at football books that are you know like history of football type books but in the local language you know whether it's france germany italy wherever it may be and Francis Lee, for, for years, when I used to go and look in the index, they'd have, uh, as far as Manchester City players were concerned, they'd perhaps have m- maybe something on Bert Troutman and something on Francis Lee and something on maybe Billy Meredith. And that would be it. Seriously, not even Colin Bell, you know. So, internationally, Francis Lee was up there and was known as a, this brilliant, brilliant attacking player. Yeah.
2: What, what was he to that, that 68? team as well the the, the fact that that, I mean obviously he he went on to win pretty much everything at at City Um, what what did he bring to that team well
0: I suppose the first thing is he he brought um, more of an attack minded approach Um, Mike Summerby was actually the centre forward that that season uh, for for virtually every game Um, and so when Francis Lee arrived it was October I mean it's 56 years ago this this week he he arrived and Joe Mercer described him as the final piece in that title jigsaw, if you like, and none of us are going to argue with City's greatest manager, prior to Pep Guardiola, <laughs> are we? You know, um, so, but and he was that. He was that. It, it sort of transformed City, but he, you know, Neil Young scored loads of goals, and Mike Summerbee was a brilliant centre forward for City that year, and eventually winger um, Colin Bell was incredible. And you know, you could go through every member of that team. Superb, superb players. But Francis Lee just gave that little bit extra a little bit like we have with Haaland in some ways in that we know City was a brilliant team in the, in the last few years City had been a brilliant team when Haaland comes along and it's suddenly we're at a different level again and, and that's what happened with Francis Lee and he was always a winner he was always somebody who you felt if he was on your side, if he was with you, he would find success somehow, right? Uh, whether that's in business, whether that's in football or whatever, horse racing, whatever he, took, he turned his hand to. And before City, he'd had enough at Bolton and he basically went on strike. And I think this also shows you that with Francis Lee, if, you, if he didn't want to do something, if he wasn't happy then he'd stop at the point when it's just going wrong. And I, when I interviewed him a few years back, um, I asked him about when he came, when he arrived at City, and he said he'd started up his business, and this is, he was ahead of his time with his business. He was basically collecting newspapers and doing recycling, um, and that's how it developed into his, his toilet roll industry and all, this, all the rest of it. Um, and he said he was out on his van collecting newspapers um, at a time when normal footballers would have been sort of training that, but he'd gone on strike with bowling. And he, he said, he'd um, ended up, he'd um, he got back or something, and there was a message, and it was Joe Mercer, right? And so he ended up phoning Joe Mercer up, and, and Joe had said, where have you been today? And he, he said, I've been on the golf course or something like that, because if he'd have said, I've been collecting newspapers, he'd have thought, what the hell's going on here? Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he was... He was... To City at that time, we all talk about as a Summerby, and we sort of perhaps overdo that to some extent because it was all about that entire team. But Francis Lee was a major contribution; he was a major difference between City and those other teams who didn't have Francis Lee or Colin Bell or Mike Summerby. You know. Yeah, he was a he was
2: a big character as well, wasn't he? Because there's, I mean. Obviously, the nickname was uh, Lee Penn and there was there was the whole stories around, um, you know, the, maybe let's call it going down easily in the box. Um, <laughs> yeah. But well, he, like, he knew a diver when he could see. I, I remember the, there's a video of him diving in the Manchester Derby when he when he's when he's conceded a foul and he, he thinks that it's not a foul.
0: Well, yeah, I mean that there's that, that a great one. Um, he actually accuses George Best of diving, and he, he, he does this. <laughs> Belly flop over and over again, and the crowd get carried away. And it's, like, I mean, it's, it's great. It's funny actually, because he has, he had, did have that reputation. Um, and I did an analysis on the season when he got all those penalties you know, record breaking penalty season. Because people will say, Lee, one pen, and not one pen, or you know, it alternates sometimes it's one pen, sometimes it's one pen. Um, he didn't, it, that season, I think it was Rodney Marsh who got more penalties. Um, just Lee took them, Lee took them. And he took them well. You know, he just blasted the ball and the goalkeepers would jump out of the way. You know. Um, but I did ask him. I did a cheeky thing one day and I said to him, um, I was writing a thing for the Manchester Derby programme a few years back and I was sat in his house and he'd, he'd been having a glass of wine and he was talking a bit more freely than perhaps he would do. And I just thought, I'm going to ask him about uh, penalties. And I said to him, did you ever dive? And I went, no, no. And then he paused and he said, well, there was... And then he did tell me about something. I can't, I'm not going to repeat it. <laughs> but he told me about one incident. Right? And then he said to me, you bugger, you've got that on tape. <laughs> and I went, yeah, I won't use it. And I'm not going to use it. Right? But, but the thing about it was, he, I think he knew, like most great footballers know, when, some, when somebody's going to have a go at you and what's going to happen um, but more often than not it was Francis Lee taking them not diving if you like or not getting the foul um, and so yeah it's just one of those things isn't it yeah. When it comes to, to City goal scorers um,
2: I mean obviously the younger fans now will look at Haaland will look at Aguero those sorts of players um, and then kind of my generation thinks back to Gota and to Dickoff and those sorts of players as well where does Lee stand for, for that generation?
0: Well, you know, he scored, what, 30-odd goals one season, right? Um, now, Gota was the only one who came close after that, uh, and, and in terms of numbers, beat it, um, you'd have to look back to see what competitions it was in, what level it was at, and do fair comparisons, but that's what we're talking about. So, until recent years, uh, until Gota and then until recent years, there's nobody to compare. Um, we're blessed at the moment, but I think what I would say is if you're a young fan who's trying to think about how significant this is that Francis Lee's passed away. Think of your hero today, whoever that may be, and then th- think of a day when they're no longer here. And there are people of my generation and above who were young children when Francis Lee was scoring goals for City or towards the end of his career at City or wherever it may be, and he was very the hero and... It's difficult, you know. I actually I signed for City the day after I was born, so I can't say I saw him at his peak, right? But I do remember my dad used to take me as a young child and I do remember and was certainly there the day he scored for Derby County against City, but I, I remember him playing for City. That, I, that, that's look at his face. Look yeah. at his face, just look at his face. I was sat in the Platt Lane Stand that day and the goal went in. Um, and obviously we've seen it on match for day since and the, the you know look at his face commentary comes from that Barry Davis. But um, when the goal went in there were people who jumped up near me because Francis Lee had scored. And then I'm sat there as a... What was I? I was only about six or something, seven, six or seven or something like that. And I'm, 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 like, thinking, he's wearing a white shirt. He's not playing for City anymore, right? And other people, suddenly the realisation dawns, oh, it's Francis Lee, he scored against us. And he celebrated. And there's all that rubbish that people say about, oh, you should never celebrate if you go back to a club. Of course you should celebrate. I know it's different if the team you're playing is going to get relegated. I remember Paul Power scoring for Everton against City when City looked like we we're going to get relegated and eventually did get relegated and he didn't celebrate. And I get that, I understand that. But when you're challenging for a title as Derby County were and you score a goal against a team that's just sort of sold you... A good goal course, as well. A brilliant goal. and. Well, of course you should celebrate and of course you should look at his face, you know, and you should, and, it, and, and I, I don't begrudge that and I think what that proves is Francis Lee was a winner. He, he, he didn't, he, sentiment didn't come into it. He was going to do his best for that team that he was playing for um, and for many, many years he was doing that for City and I just, it's really difficult getting over what a loss this is um, but as a footballer, he was just Incredible, and he—he he should. He played in the 1970 World Cup. He should have played for England a, a, a lot longer. Alf Ramsey did not pick him for a famous game against Poland, which you can look in this. England didn't go to World Cup because of his game. And Brian Clough called the, goalkeeper, the Polish goalkeeper a clown, but he was brilliant, right? Um, saved everything. And Francis Lee did not play in that game, and he—he he, he told me that he phoned Alf Ramsey up and said if there's one player who should be playing against Poland it's me because I've played against Gornik, I've played against Polish teams get me in that squad and he didn't put him in that team and Francis Lee was convinced he would have scored and I believe him I, you know, I, I think he would have done I think he would have made that difference and again people say oh that's arrogance or whatever but it's not it's a winner's mentality and that's what Francis Lee had yeah. You mentioned Gornik. Um obviously he scored
2: um, in the final scored a penalty um, quite fittingly um, he he he, had them, he, he was there for the big moments, wasn't he? Like, you could rely on him in the big moments.
0: Yeah, yeah, he, he could. And, and that was a foul on Neil Young, and he took the penalty and he scored. Yeah, and maybe Neil Young would have scored, who knows? But as we know now with City, it's not always easy to score a penalty. <laughs> um, but Francis Lee seemed to get right time and time again. Um, he was there for big moments. One of his greatest City games was the 1970 League Cup final. He didn't score. You know, Pardo and Doyle scored. Um Unlikely, in a sense, Pardo and Doyle were both scoring, but Pardo and Doyle scored. Um, Francis Lee didn't, but many people said that was his sort of greatest club performance. Uh, certainly up until that point, um, and then that is supposed to be the deciding factor in what took him to the World Cup in 1970. And I, I, I think, and it goes for Colin Bell this as well, and Mike Summerbee. Bell, Lee, Summerbee, and Alan Oakes, who was in this sort of England reckoning, they were unlucky that. England had won the World Cup in 66 and that sounds a silly thing to say I know but England winning the World Cup in 66 how do you change that team it cements the team doesn't yeah. it and Belly and somebody all their peak came just after 66 you know so I've well maybe not the peak but their rise to prominence came just after 66 so it was difficult for them to uh, unseat the existing players you know how was Colin Bell going to replace Bobby Charlton for example you know and, and same with Francis Lee how, how would we do this um, but Francis Lee managed to get into that England team and de- he delivered and he should have been in that England team for longer um, but so many great moments and, and you know he left City I, I'm going on here but when he left City he sort of had a bit of enough of City, and City didn't quite value him in the way that they should have done at that point to be fair, he perhaps, again City perhaps should have kept him longer, but anyway he moved on, things were changing he moved on, and he went to Derby. And what did he do? Win the lead, you know, and then he actually retired I can't remember the exact age he was, but he retired at a fairly young age for a footballer, because his business was taken off, and he wanted to spend more time doing his business because that's how his mind worked And even going to Derby, the reason he went to Derby, he could have possibly gone to, on the face of it, bigger clubs elsewhere, but Derby was within easy travelling time from his home and his business. So, go to Derby. And he helped him win the league. You know, great. Yeah.
2: You mentioned his business. Uh, You mentioned briefly earlier on that he did come back as as City chairman. Um, In the end, his tenure as chairman wasn't successful and it, it, it had its problems. But... He did offer at the start in the, in the mid '90s when City were all over the place, off the pitch and on the pitch at times. He offered hope to fans.
0: Absolutely, um, and maybe you can compare this to sort of United and you look at the way things. Oh, Everton! You look at the way things have gone over the recent years. You know, City. When Francis Lee left City, City were a major power, right? Um, title challengers, team a team that was used to playing in Europe, winning European trophies. Um, at the time he left City, United win the second division. City were Manchester's number one team, definitely. Peter Swells was chairman when Francis Lee left, and that might be part of the reason why Francis Lee felt undervalued, maybe. Um, Peter Swells took that club and... Devalued it year on year on year. Yes, with some high points, 76 League Cup final. We can talk about some great moments, missing the title by a point, whatever, But, but the club was downgraded, right? Relegated twice in the 80s in a desperate state. For years, most fans had wanted Francis Lee to show interest in buying the club because they knew he was a success as a businessman and so on. So eventually, when the opportunity came, there was a really long, bitter campaign and it's not worth going into all the logistics of that and who's right and who's wrong. But Francis Lee was successful, but then he made two big, well, three big mistakes, I suppose. One, he sacked Brian Orton, when he perhaps he shouldn't have done Brian Orton, perhaps should have been given another year, maybe. Right? He pointed on Ball, that was his... Other big mistake, Alan Ball was not the man to take City forward, but even then, he tried to get Franz Beckenbauer. Everyone wanted Franz Beckenbauer. He tried to get George Graham. Everybody wanted George Graham. He got Alan Ball. Nobody wanted Alan Ball, right? Um, And the other big mistake was he kept on the board some of those people who were very much soiled supporters, and then they switched sides when they saw how things were going to go. And some of these people had been responsible for Malcolm Allison coming back. Not Peter Swales, some of the other directors, right? So these people had played their part in keeping Swales in power and also downgrading City. And Francis Lee should have perhaps got rid of them. It would be like taxing Shunawatra, staying on the board of directors when Khaldun's trying to, to take City forward. It can't work. It just can't. And, unfortunately that's happened. No, Francis Lee definitely made mistakes. He'd been out of the game too long. Um, I think he, he was stunned at the sort of wages the footballers were earning. There's lots of things about that that were a problem. But also, contracts with suppliers or merchandising agreements were really poor for City. You know, there's something ridiculous, like they were only earning £26,000 a year from merchandise because it had been outsourced. Well, I mean, that handicapped the club. That, that prevented the club from moving forward. So Francis Lee changed a lot of that. He ripped up the plans for the Kipak stand and built a, a bigger stand because it would have been, at one point, the bottom tier of that Kipak stand was going to be um, plastic seats bolted onto the original terracing. Francis Lee ripped all that up and built a better stand. And just as we were finishing that, that's when the sort of negotiation started for the new stadium. And Francis Lee was there at the start of that, really. Um, it had been a long sort of road, and he wasn't the person who signed the agreement to say we'd move. Absolutely not. That came in 1999, but he was there at the start of the discussions. And so, yes, in terms of on the pitch, his time as chairman was an absolute failure. No doubt about that. But as his time the, for the club, he improved it considerably and I think it was, I think the club was doomed without Francis Lee and with Francis Lee because he appointed Alan Ball he wasn't able to save it. It saddens me that really because Francis Lee deserved better and he tried his best, he was let down. (laughs)
1: If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts.
2: That was Gary James paying tribute to the late Francis Lee. Um, we'll look ahead now to the game with Arsenal, and uh, we've kind of focused a lot on whether Rico Lewis will be involved. Dom, um, there's going to be no Rodri for one last time for what I imagine is like you know injury aside, the rest of the season now. Um, how do you solve it this weekend? Lewis, maybe an option, maybe not. I don't know.
4: I think Lewis is an option with someone else in that. I'd, mm. I, I'd be minded to go with um, the side from Wednesday with Kovacic slotting in for Rodri. I know the different types of players but and, just, and just seeing how well that works. Um, one thing that I think you know probably doesn't bode too well is when Rodri got sent off... Um, I think there was people talking already looking at the Arsenal game of how that might shake, shake out. Now, the first two games of his ban, I think, have whittled down the options. And Calvin Phillips played at Newcastle and was all right. But I think it speaks volumes. He then doesn't play at Wolves. So he's out of the equation. Nunes played at Wolves and getting subbed at half time. You're not going to start with the Emirates now after that, really, are you? Or if you did... You'd have been starting him with Kovacic or someone else, or Bernardo in there. But, but then Rico Lewis plays how he does against Leipzig, and yeah. So N- Phillips and Nunes have probably played themselves out of contention, which by process of, by process of elimination puts Kovacic there. And I'd always be want minded to, from a City point of view, I think you want to see Bernardo Silver in central midfield in those games. But well, they, they is all so good on the right hand side over the last few months, last few months, end of last season that you probably put in there.
2: Yeah, but the, the, I mean, I was going to come to this though, Adam, because um, like as much as um, Nunes and, and Phillips haven't been great options, they were, as we were talking about before, in a team that was full of ball carriers instead of a yeah. team full of controlling players. If yeah. you have Bernardo Silva in the team, if you've got Jack Grealish in the team, if you've got, got players that can control the tempo, and I mean, I don't suspect he'll start given he's only just back from injury himself and he hasn't played any minutes whatsoever up until this game. But if you've got somebody in the back line who can pass it more, like John Stones, or somebody who can step into midfield like John Stones, then does that change the dynamic a little bit? And does it does it give a little bit of an option for those players who maybe have played the way out of contention to play the way back into yeah, it a little bit?
3: It's so true. So I don't think that Pep thought he would have this type of dilemma because of how the Leipzig game went, when he was going to be naming his Arsenal team, I think he might have had one eye on it. I think he's definitely going to want to have a more controlled uh, lineup rather than a ball carrying lineup, and that seems to be the dilemma. Like the the, the first dilemma. Second one is you make a great point there that if Nunes or if if Nunes is in a team that's set up to control, so his ball carrying skills aren't really needed, but his ball retention skills and he's kind of blending it and getting it back and keeping keeping all of the ball are used and he's screened in that way, then do we see a different Nunes than the one who, who's played himself out of contention because he, he, he was quite lacklustre and quite light in, in the midfield at Wolves? So I think you get a different type of player It it seems obvious to say you get a different type of player based on the system they're in, but we've not seen that side of them yet because the games have been introduced in, it's been in this new city, ball carrying city rather than a controlled city that we've seen. And I think we need the controlling city for Arsenal away. We've been too easy to counter attack, as we've alluded to in previous conversations on the pod today. And... You know, we've we've leaked goals. Uh, we've not kept a clean sheet away from home since the first game of the season at, at Burnley, in all in all competitions. So we are susceptible to conceding. So you, you don't. The, the way you arrest that is by having control of the ball and not trying to break the lines by running through it, as we have in, in previous games, where so far it has been successful until the time it's not, and then it's the worst idea in the world. Yeah. Dom, there <laughs> is
2: a, a counter-argument to that as well, in that look at Arsenal away last season and the season before. City didn't really control the ball in those two games, but they had enough in the tank to get the job done and they won the games.
4: Yeah, that was with De- so the the away game. De Bruyne is massive in that. Um, and obviously that isn't an option there. Um, I, I also think in the Arsenal game last year, I don't think it was completely by design. They didn't have control. I just think Arsenal played very, very well at their place. Um, so, but yeah, I, I take the point. I mean, I'd, I guess one thing I, I was thinking is you, Nunes, sort of the way he does carry the ball so well, you're gonna have periods of the game where Arsenal will pin pin City back. Nunes like on form and you know breaking lines and going forward into their half. That could work, but I I don't know. I I think you you want to go into games like this operate with as much you're not not having unknowns in there really. And like while I take I totally take the point that Phillips and Nunez with more control players around them could look could look better certainly Nunes um but yeah I I I don't know the the thing the thing I'd like to know if you get inside Guardiola's head there's absolutely no point asking him at the Friday press conference he will not answer it um (laughs) is did he pick Rico Lewis on Wednesday night as part of a rotation as getting minutes getting experience playing midfield in Europe all good things or did he play him there as a dress rehearsal to go right can I do this against Arsenal and I'd lean towards it being the latter because of what we just said about Nunes and Phillips Mm. not really hitting the mark over the last week. It's like, right, I can't do that. Can I do this, though?
2: Now I'm I'm not sure I agree with that, you know, because Mm. I think if if that was the case, I don't think he'd play 90 minutes. Mm. It's a lot to ask him, isn't it, to play 90 minutes on Wednesday and then 90 minutes on Sunday in in two big games like that.
3: Can I just say, this is probably the most debated... Team lineup I can remember in recent times, because literally you, there's so many different moving parts to what how we should approach the game. We've now all of a sudden got two ways of playing. Too We've many players, got, if anything. Two, t- <laughs> ma- exactly. The, the squad's massive. <laughs> no, um, I, I think it's really interesting. It's going to be. Sorry to cut across you, but I just realised then I don't remember debating a lineup even ahead of Champions League. Over, with Pep, you've, you've almost known how he's approaching games. Now we're questioning, is he like, you know, two steps ahead by testing things out at Leipzig for Arsenal? And it's actually really, really interesting because I've got no clue as to what the lineup's going to be because yeah. does he risk stones? Probably not. So then how do you, do you fix that problem? It's crazy. Yeah.
2: Tell it's you not, what... He's not even game- overthought it yet.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> the game's going to be good. But Twitter
3: at three thirty is gonna be... Oh my god. The, the absolute Inject, place it. To be. Yeah. Inject it. Inject yeah.
2: it. Yeah, clear clear your diary, lads. Get, yeah, get, yeah. Make, make sure you've got time to be yeah. refreshing that phone. Make sure get that your battery pack out as well and make sure you've got charge in your phone. Um <laughs> let's let's look at uh the rest of the team then as well, because it's not all about uh, who's gonna play holding midfield for, for City. Adam, you mentioned John Stone's um unlikely to come back in and I agree with you. I think it's like it's it's a lot to ask him off the back of an injury. But but maybe you need somebody who can who can pass it in the back four. Um, what about Nathan Aké? He, he, he really struggled with Neto on Saturday. Um, would you be tempted to stick Guardiola in there instead?
3: So that was one thing, right? I rarely. Dig Pep out, because obviously he knows a lot more than me and he's the best manager we'll we're, we're ever going to have. But he spent all Friday afternoon in the press conference before the Wolves game, highlighting Neto, how he was the danger man, how, him, how much damage he can cause, and then leaves Guardiola on the bench. Now, I know Ake's had some recent success with uh, marking Saka out of games in recent times.
2: Literally everybody he's come up against.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I don't want to do Ake a disservice either. I'd rather have Ake... In the centre and have, I just think Guardiola was perfect for that Wolves game and he didn't play him. He's obviously got Le- Leipzig in mind. Maybe even had Arsenal if we're playing this 3D chess game that we seem to be suggesting. But I, I'm not re- I'm not re- re- revisionary on this one. I wanted Guardiola in the lineup before Wolves because of the threat that Pep had spent all Friday afternoon talking about, and then he just ignores it on the Saturday. He yeah. knows more than me, but that was my thought at the time.
2: Can I just ask you, Adam? Um, 3D chess isn't that just chess?
3: not if you play on a uh uh, uh, amstrad uh, yeah, tab, or an abstract. So yeah,
2: two two D chess would be that chess that you get in the newspapers, or like like you said, the, the, the <laughs> that's um, what I meant. Yeah, the uh, and
3: three D chess is more advanced, just like Pep Guardiola. Just, yeah,
2: just not well. Like, it's still just normal chess on the on on the board. It's four D chess, isn't it? The one that that I mean, what what like that would be that'd include like height as well, wouldn't it? It'd be different yeah. layers. I don't know. I just just wondered what dimension you we were working in here.
3: You got me, but I was comparing it to two <laughs> D chess rather I see, than I see, yeah. They've got yes. they've
4: got giant chess outside the library in Central Leeds, <laughs> like big chess that you can like. It's funny sometimes you see like fellas there like <laughs> having a proper game, but like the pawns are about you know two or three foot and like moving. And, and then you've got kids just trying to like run off with the horse and stuff. So uh, yeah, it's a. Um, it, it, <laughs> it's a, it's a good
2: spectacle. Yeah. Um, uh, let's the other selection. Dom is uh, I think a lot more of an easier choice for Guardiola. Um, in that, uh, obviously, Jack Greeley started against Leipzig. Um, Twitter didn't seem that impressed with his performance, but I, I thought he was fine. Um, and then Jeremy Doku comes on, gets a goal and an assist, and it, it, it kind of it, it kind of highlights what he can offer. Um, I wonder how tempted Guardiola would be to scratch that itch of having Doku on the pitch because Grealish by all like everybody knows what he will bring and he will he will give City a lot more control of that game than Doku will. Doku's a very new player. But Doku unpredictable, isn't he? You could like he could just have that spark.
4: Yeah, he comes on and gets a goal on the system. I mean there's there's not much more you can do from the bench really. Um I would be amazed if Grealish doesn't start. All if you think of all those City's big performances last year, whether it's the Arsenal games home and away, Madrid by Munich, Liverpool at home. Grealish played in all of them, and Grealish was prominent in all of them. Um he's probably not quite up to his best form yet. He's he's another one who's had an injury, but um I mean I guess you could play them both, but then and then we don't then we, we don't go with this idea of playing Rico loose and you stick Bernardo and Foden inside with a holder. So, you have Do- Doku on the right. No Alvarez?
2: Um, that's a. Well,
4: yeah, God, God yeah, no Alvarez. That, that, that's...
3: I mean, but... squad's the... too big. Yeah,
2: yeah, sell so, so some players. Yeah. Um, so, so, some of them have got to go, yeah.
4: Yeah, so sell free to Chelsea in January. Yeah. Um, yeah, what we were saying before, though, about the um, basically just play the Leipzig team, but with coverage instead of Rodri, that also doesn't Alvarez, have Alvarez in it.
2: Yeah.
4: It drop Ireland? I don't know. This, this is
3: mad. This is mad.
4: It's the it's the rugby world cup pick fifteen. (laughs) (laughs) Fine,
3: yeah, let's
2: do that Um, Right, well we were so close to adding to the charity bet tally on Wednesday night And we would have done without Jeremy Docky's stoppage time goal uh, But we didn't have 3-1 So we stay on £175 raised so far this season For the Man City fans food bank support group William Hill is giving us three £10 correct score singles And the Arsenal game is the only one to predict this week So um, I'm going to kick us off because I've got a rather boring one-all Which is 11 to 2 and £55 if I'm right Uh, Adam, what are you having for this one?
3: I'm going just because of our inability to keep clean sheets away. I'm going for two all.
2: Two all draw is uh, 12 to 1 and £120, if you're right, Dom.
4: Because of City's inability to keep clean sheets away, I'm going
2: for a 3-1 City win. 3-1 <laughs> <laughs> uh, City yeah, yeah, is uh, 20 to 1 and uh, £200 if you're right. Hey, I you never know. Might, might be right. You never know. Um, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for information on how to gamble responsibly, take a look at begamblerware.org. Um, Dom... I am intrigued by your prediction um, because I think 3-1 is... like. I think if you ask most City fans, then most City fans will go, yeah, get it, get out of there with a point and, and I'm happy. So, like, it, it feels optimistic.
4: Um, how many league games in a row have they won against Arsenal now?
2: It's a lot, yeah. I take the point. <laughs>
4: yeah, so so maybe that's got to end at some point. Um, yeah, are we, I don't know. I'm allowed to say... They won the treble and they're really good, so I think they'll win most games. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's it's it's a a, I mean, to be fair, talking all that absolute wham about the lineup for fifteen minutes, I've probably convinced yeah. myself they won't win three one. But um, <laughs> I gave the prediction beforehand, um, so yeah, um, yeah, I, I think uh, I'm. I think I'm just backing the best team in the world to win a football match.
2: Yeah, exactly that. Um, I, I, every every year though, we have somebody on the podcast who predicts a win at Anfield, and I'm just like lads, it's not happening. Don't, oh yeah, don't, well, don't I mean, I mean
4: yeah. that that's mental. Don't do that.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Adam, are you in? Are you in my boat? Like, doesn't matter the yeah. performance. Get a point. Get out just, of there. And
3: yeah, I think there's there's plenty of time in the season to make amends if something disastrous happens here. So don't let it and just control the game and uh, just get out of there with some semblance of a result.
2: Yeah, well, we'll see how all that goes down uh, on next week's Blue Moon podcast. But for now, that's it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening and thanks to my guests for this one, Adam Carter.
3: Always a pleasure.
2: And Don Farrell. Thanks a lot, lads. I'll be back after the game with Arsenal, so I'll see you then. That
1: was the Blue Moon podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's.
0: Neutrals decide before every game that we've already won it. Mm. They forget that the other
2: team is there and they want to win as well. And so when a goal does get scored against us... I think there is greater weight and significance added to it, which means that even though the quality might not be the same, I think once a goal goes in like that, you just sort of have to say, "Oh, yeah, fair play." Can you can <laughs> you be quite philosophical when that happens? Because I mean, like the Graham Doran's one made it, I think two one at the time, so City was still winning. Um, and Ciso scored, and City had already won the title. The game didn't really matter; it was a it was a dead rubber, uh, and it it made it one all. Um, but goals like, like Crouch's and like Townsend's gave the opposition the lead. So how philosophical can you be when, when such a good goal is scored uh, and City have fallen behind? You can't in the moment, can you? Because I think in the moment you think, bloody typical that he'd do that against us. Why not wait till next week? But then months go by, we won the title in 2012, we won the title in 2019... Uh, we won the title this season as well. So ah, maybe that's the trick. Maybe at some Just point in 2014, <laughs> maybe that's the trick. We have to concede great goals at points in the season. Maybe that's the price we have to pay.
1: You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode.